Well, good morning. Good morning. Running a little behind this morning. Kind of crazy. A lot going on. Delighted to be here with you this morning. I'm Walter Spires. We're taking a break today from the series we've been doing, Signs of the Times and Jesus' Words. Kind of pretty much finished that up. I wanted to do some summary work on that to help remind us of some of those key things and events as we push toward the end of these days and look at what's going on in our nation in particular. And those things that um, are disturbing not only to us, but they're disturbing to God. But this week, more than any week I can recall in my life, I have been praying and praying these pleading prayers over so many different things, so many different people. It's just been a lot going on, and it seemed to, I don't know, there just seemed to be more this week than I could ever recall. And so uh, I believe in, in praying and getting before the Lord, and I, I know what most of you do as well. And sometimes it just gets to be burdensome, and it's a heavy load, and we weigh in on that because we believe that in many cases the only outcome that can bring healing is the miraculous hand of our God, who is healer. So the Holy Spirit redirected me very clearly to what I'm going to teach today, because quite frankly, I didn't have anything. I didn't have time to prepare. I was uh, just at a point where I thought, well, I just won't teach this week. And the Lord gave me this verse and then this message to go along with that. So after I pray, we're going to get started bearing one another's burdens, what it means and what it does not. And I believe it's going to be helpful to you as it was to me. I'm praying to that end. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's the only truth that we have. It's the only truth that you've given us through this beautiful revelation, mysterious at times. Help me to teach it well with integrity. And I pray your Holy Spirit would move on the hearts and the minds of those who watch this, maybe with us this morning live, listen to the podcast version or read the notes. However they are received, Lord, let it be received and let your Holy Spirit do his mighty and wonderful work in the hearts of those who need Jesus as Savior and the hearts and minds of those of us who are Christians who need to understand how we are to help others to bear one another's burdens for Christ's sake. Amen. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Let me repeat that. Prayer doesn't fit us or equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. That's a quote that a friend of mine in Memphis showed me many, many years ago by a guy I was unfamiliar with at the time, Oswald Chambers. And since that time, I have many years used this devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. You can see I've got more sticky notes and pages in here. and uh, It has been something the Lord has used to serve me well, just like Spurgeon's devotions and most of all the Word of God. But that phrase... That sentence is powerful, and it's a great reminder to us as Christians that 
We're not praying so that we can get better to do things. Prayer itself is that greater work. And so as Christians, we need to be mindful of that, that we go to war in prayer. Uh, Sometimes we go just broken in prayer. And there are many different ways and reasons, but it's always reason to pray because God alone is the one who can affect the change and answer our prayers. Sometimes in ways that we don't like. Sometimes in ways that are way too slow. Nevertheless, we pray. Nevertheless, we pray. So the verse that the Lord had given me was in Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby, or in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. Now, it's interesting because that was clearly the verse that he gave me uh, yesterday morning to just ponder on in my quiet time. I was sitting in my quiet time praying and journaling over all these things. Dear, dear brother, sister in Christ, granddaughter, critical care, the horrible car wreck. Um, Another one uh, in critical care unit, but dealing with some issues in their head, their brain, and just just so many others that are out there, uh, unspoken ones that I can't even get into. Just deep burdens for people who are pleading, pleading with prayer for the Lord God. People with cancers and horrible, awful diseases that are close to me, uh, close to others that I don't know, but I love and pray for. People about to go through surgery, people recovering from surgery. There's just so many things. And I just started listing names in my journal. And man, it's a lot. It's a lot. It was a lot to take before the Lord, and, and it, just, it puts a burden on our hearts. The word for burden in that particular verse, of course, that'd be in the Greek, is fortion, fortion. And it, like you'd think, it would mean in, in many of the cases, and of course, a lot of these words, just like they do in English, they have multiple meanings. But by and large, this word burden means a heavy load or a weight. The word burden, fortion, basically means it's um, like cargo. It's used in cargo. We have a heavy load of cargo on a ship or a wherever, someplace, a train. And in those days, I guess, on a cart, you know, the animal, a donkey trying to pull a heavy load or a burden. So it's used in, in a number of different contexts. And what was interesting to me, the more that I studied, I thought, well, maybe this isn't the right use of this word. Because when Paul's talking about this and he's writing to the church in Galatia, He's talking specifically, and let me just read the verse to you so you can understand what I'm talking about. It sounds a little bit out of context, and, and you could argue that it is. And so I'm always telling you we need to stay in context. We interpret Scripture in context. In, in, in Galatians 6.1, Paul said this, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, a trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. In other words, if someone's caught in sin and they need help in reconciliation, redemption, we need to do that. And that's where the verse comes in in verse two, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of the love. Yeah, excuse me. Bear one another's bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so what he's saying is that we need to walk with people through those times, through those sins to help to restore them, you know, back to God help them restore them in their walk with Jesus. Now, that's between them and the Holy Spirit, ultimately, 
But what Paul is saying, if somebody's caught in sin, and again, this is going to assume that they're repentant because that's taught as well. There are many people caught in sin that have unrepentant hearts. That's a different issue. But what he's saying here that, look, we need to be able to bear one another's burdens or go with it through them. So that's what that word is talking about there. But if you continue on and look at different applications of that same word, now in the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, of course, and some, some was in Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew, King David wrote this in Psalm 55, 22. And many of you know this verse. This is a wonderful verse to, to call on and claim and just to memorize. It says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast, throw that burden out on the Lord. Lay it on him and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous, the righteous, his people, his sons, his daughters to be shaken, to be shaken. Now, I did some work on that verse earlier this morning because I recall that I didn't really deal with that part. And what does it mean to be shaken? He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. I'm shaken up all the time when things like this happen. Happen to me, happen to others, I'm shaken up. Well, mote, mote is the Hebrew word for shaken there. And it basically means to be moved, to be moved off course, uh, to slip or to fall. And the only other use of that word is in Isaiah. And it means to be shaken violently, violently. And so we have a picture there being moved or shaken or falling. And God is saying, if we will cast our burdens on him, if he will cast our burdens on him, he will sustain us. What does sustain mean? To keep us. He will keep us and hold us. We've all been through those times. Some of you are right in the middle of it right now. And the best thing that you can do is understand that the Lord God will and is sustaining you through it. How do you get through this? I've seen all these different things posted on social media, things that are texted to me, people that are pleading for prayer, but they are being sustained in this hour, spending days and nights in the hospital with people who are in critical care in difficult places, some life-threatening. And I'm praying and pleading and reminding you today and reminding them that we need to cast our cares, cast these things, cast these burdens on Jesus. And what David said here, of course, was cast your burden on the Lord, the Lord God, and he will sustain you. And he will never allow the righteous to be taken off course, to be moved away, to be crushed and moved and all these things shaken. That's a promise. That's a promise. In the same manner, with a similar verse, only from the words of Jesus, many of you are familiar with these verses of Jesus in Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, that chapter is closed out in 28 through 30. He said this, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. You're tired and you are burdened. And I will give you rest. I mean, that's what we need. One of the texts I got this morning was thanking people for praying for them to get some rest. Because when it's a child and it's your child or your grandchild, you're not getting much rest. Day and night, you're at the hospital, you're up, you're just so troubled, you can't sleep until you finally just crash because you are exhausted. And so Jesus knew that people needed rest, and, and we need rest even beyond that. We need rest for our souls. And that's what he goes on to say in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Some translations put heavy laden. 
got these big loads on you that you're carrying around. And I'll give you rest. Jesus is our rest. He is our rest. The loving arms of Jesus, the comforting arms of Jesus. He is our rest. He is. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The only two adjectives that Jesus used to describe himself in the Bible, interesting, they're gentle and humble. I've been often convicted by that because my nature, the the flesh side of me, the remnant, is not gentle or humble at all, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit and and submitting that can, can we be there for me anyway. But Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for those weary souls. That that cup of cool water on a hot day. Mm. And then he closed that out by saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't have time to get into the deep dive on that. We know that the yoke, that oxen were yoked together in pairs. And there was usually an older ox with with a younger one to teach them how to go. So they wouldn't throw off the yoke and they would learn to plow. And that's how they did it. And so this analogy, Jesus saying, come and yoke with me. And I'm going to carry that because it's light. It's not some heavy burdensome thing. But you're going to be coming alongside of me. And I'm going to be carrying this. And I'm going to be directing you and helping you. That's the picture of Jesus and the yoke and us as the younger oxen beside him, uh, our, our God, Jesus, our God, the son of the most high God. Now, I'm going to give you... Three things that what, what we can do for one another in, in helping with these burdens, helping to relieve or lift the burdens. The word bearing, the word bearing is, is bastasso, and it means, to again, to lift or ease or help carry. And so this is what we're going to try to do for people who are in need or suffering the kind of things we've talked about this morning. But I'm going to give you three things that we absolutely can do and should do. And then I'm going to give you three things that we cannot do. And I'll wrap it up with one other one. Uh, so let's, let's look at those. So there are emotional and physical and spiritual needs that people need to have met. We all do. We all have emotional needs. We have physical needs. We have spiritual needs. And so if someone is going through something like these friends of mine, these people that we know, friends of friends, relatives of relatives, Going through these things, what can we do? Well, the first one I want to talk about is the emotional side. The emotional side, which is just comforting. You know, people are emotionally distressed, and they don't need lectures. Some people are prone to that. They don't need it. They just need someone to comfort them on the emotional side. There's some verses I memorized years ago, and I've sent them to people. I send them all the time to believers because I think they were comforting, and then they would help others as well. Um, let me read this to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read this. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, and here's a key, God of all comfort. And listen to how many times that word is used. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. 
didn't need my glasses. It's just such a powerful set of verses from the Apostle Paul and speaks the most to this comforting, this emotional needs comfort. Just sometimes it's you walk with someone, you, you talk with someone, you sit with someone, you cry with someone, you hold their hand. It is a comfort, soft time to soothe them emotionally, to help soothe their emotions. Mm. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And I love that part where he talks about he comforts us so that in remembering that we can go and comfort other people with that same comfort, knowing that it came from God, perhaps from his word, like the verses that I shared with you. Mm. Emotional comfort's really, really important to help people through those times. Then, then there's a the physical side of comfort, physical side. And I say the most important for last, by the way. Uh, the reason will be obvious in a minute. Well, what does physical comfort mean? Well, it means to serve, right? It means to serve, to do. This is the doing part, meaningful acts of service and kindness. We don't just hold someone's hand and say, you know, it's going to be okay and pat them on the head or whatever. But we do what they need. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? People need help in these times. There are a lot of things that people can do. You know, one of the, it's interesting, that one of the strong exchanges in the Bible in the, in the judgment, Matthew 25, we get toward the end and Jesus talking about the end times and the Judgment, the sheep and the goats, we're separating out uh, true believers, born-again Christians from false ones. He uses these verses, and I'll read part of it. I'm in Matthew 25. It's verses 34 to 36. It's a long exchange. I'm going to give you the key ones that relate to this physical ways that we can bear one another's burdens. Jesus speaking said, then the king, and he's, this is him, of course, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, that's heaven, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. And of course, the exchange goes, well, wait a minute, Lord, when did we do this? When did we do this for you? Because Jesus used the word I, meaning him personally. Well, then he turned it to the disciples and he said, well, anytime you've done it for someone else who needs help bearing these burdens, you've done it to me. So these acts of service, these acts of physical service, when we do them for others, no matter what, who they are, <clears throat> Uh, not some other Christian, just someone that needs help, who needs, who is deeply burdened and needs help with those, that we physically offer to help. And these are great examples. It, it probably covers all of them. I've been involved for years with ministry to poor and disenfranchised people. Some have been homeless, uh, some dealing with drug and alcohol addictions, and, and many in prison. I go and visit them, and I go there and teach and they're delighted to see someone show up and teach. And I'm honored and blessed to do that. And I've always said I get more out of that in terms of humbling my spirit 
and reminding me how great the needs are. But that's what Jesus said. Look, if you want to help someone physically, fine. He covered all the bases, right? All these physical needs. Um, hunger. Isn't it interesting that there's so many hungry people in this world and there's so much excess food thrown away, just disposed of, just wasted? We are a wasteful people. And we try not to be in this household, but still we waste more than we should. There are other people who are starving to death, not just in the world and in the poverty-stricken third world nations like we would expect, but even in our own country. That, that's not right. And as Christians, we need to about, be about helping feed these poor people. There are ministries that do that, so you don't have to do it. Or you can go help feed people. Everybody wants to go to the mission Thanksgiving and Christmas when they really don't need you because they've got so many people in need you the rest of the year, the rest of the time. People don't get that. Everybody wants to sign up and take their family down and feel good. And look, at, you know, it's always been interesting to me. Go some other time. Go another time. They have more people than they can take during the holiday times, but uh, not so much during the others. So give that some thought. Fed, fed people, was thirsty, gave you a cup of cool water. I've visited, you know, invited strangers in hospitality, giving clothes to people who are naked and freezing. It's winter coming on now. And visiting people in prison is something I do when I can get in. And then the third thing is this. We talked about the emotional needs, helping with those, comfort, the physical needs, meeting those. And the most important, although at the time it may not seem like it, it may be the, the last thing that you can do. But it's the first thing we should do, and that's offer to pray with someone. Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? I ask that a lot now. A pastor friend of mine um, taught me that a number of years ago where he just said, he just asked people, hey, can I pray for you? And if they say yes, most people will. But if they say no, you just, okay, fine. Sorry, I didn't mean to intrude. But most people, especially in times like this and these kinds of needs, they love people to pray for them. Pray the heart. Bring your heart. Or don't pray. When I ask somebody to pray for them, I mean I have a, a, a heart in mind that, that God would reach their heart, would help them, would do something to comfort them in this case. We're talking about bearing one of those burdens. I, I'm going to give you one other quote from Oswald Chambers. This is really outstanding. He said, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We tend to use, talking to Christians, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. When we pray, there's nothing else we can do. But God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Let that be the first thing. Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? In Psalm 30, David wrote this. Oh, Lord, my God. I love the way David had that intimate relationship with God. So intimate with him. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Mm. You know, God doesn't always bring the healing and the answers that we seek. And that's troubling. That's deeply troubling. God, how can it be your will that this happened, that this person be crushed? Why didn't you stop this car before it hit the tree rather than letting it hit the tree and nearly killing these young people. Why didn't you do that? 
Why didn't you intervene? People have been asking those questions throughout human history. And that's why God said in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 55, you don't have the mind I do. We don't think like God does. We don't know what he knows. We don't see what he sees. We don't know how he's going to use it for his glory in some cases. Don't understand that. We just keep praying that God would bring healing. We never stop. Never stop praying or pleading with God until there's a clear answer there. (laughs) Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you and you healed me. Jesus was talking to Simon Peter. It's an interesting conversation. It's found in Luke 22, and this part's in verse 32. And so Jesus talking to Simon Peter, and he said this, Simon, Simon, behold, this is interesting. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You recall the, the, if you've studied the book of Job and you know much about it, you know that Satan had to ask permission of God to do all that he did to Job. And this is, by the way, Job is a literal book. All those things really did happen. It's not some parable or some other kind of storyline. It's real because it's in the word of God and it's real. Satan had to ask permission of Jesus, demanded it, insisted on it to sift Peter like wheat, just to shake him out and push him through that sifter. Like, you know, we used to sift flour. I don't, my mom used to do that all the time. I don't think we do that anymore. I think someone else has done it before they stick it in the bag. So here's the key to this. We're talking about prayer, the spiritual aspect of bringing comfort. Jesus tells Peter up front, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, to grind you out. How did he respond? Because he did give him that permission, by the way. And he said this, he said, but I have prayed for you. But I've prayed for you that after this is over, you'd remain strong and you'd come back and be the man I wanted you to be all along. That's the rest of that story. Peter then goes on to do what? Deny Christ three times. Horrible, awful denial, betrayal. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him three times. It's the same kind of thing. Only did it three times. But he was broken and remorseful. And Judas did not repent of his sins, but yet went out and killed himself. And so Peter, we know that, but I digress. But you see, Jesus himself prayed, prayed for Peter, prayed for his disciples. In the um, in John chapter 17, which is really the Lord's Prayer, not the one that's taught as the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus praying and he is Lord is in John 17. And one thing he does here, he prays for his disciples. He prays for them that God would protect them and keep them out of the world. And as Christians, we need to be out of the world. We're in it, but not of it. And that's what he was praying. Prayed over his people, prayed over his disciples, prayed over his chosen ones. You see, that's key. We need to do the same thing. We need to be of a mind to pray, a mind to pray. So we bring comfort however we can. We, we do whatever acts of kindness and service that we can. And we pray. Let's look for a few minutes at the what we cannot do for someone else. And this is important, too. Can't do this. And as parents, we especially sometimes get involved with our children. If they have wayward children, 
or someone we know, friend, um, these are things we can't do. Okay, the first one is this. We cannot bear, talking about bearing burdens, we cannot bear another person's sin and shame. We can't do that. Even if you wanted to, and in most cases we do not, but we cannot bear another person's sin and shame. Jesus alone can do that for those who are repentant of heart. We cannot bear another person's sin or shame. Jesus alone can do that and did do that for those who confess their sin and repent and recognize they need a Savior. We'll come back to that when I close. In 1 Peter 2, Peter wrote this. And again, we're talking about Peter now, who had gone through all that denial. And when he was restored, just as Jesus said he would be, because Jesus said he prayed to the Father for him, Jesus, who is God, Incarnate God praying to the Father God for Peter after he knows that Satan is going to wear him out with those denials. Isn't that great? He wrote these two epistles. They're very short toward the end of your New Testament, First and Second Peter. Powerful books, powerful books. Man, the Holy Spirit got on Peter at Pentecost, and after that, whew, he was a powerful, powerful man of God. He and the Apostle Paul. Mm. In 1 Peter 2, 22, we read this, talking about Jesus. He who committed no sin, Jesus, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, Jesus. In other words, he didn't, he didn't spew on them. He just took what they had to say. And while he was abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. And while suffering on the cross or suffering with their beatings, he didn't threaten them. He could have said, you have no idea what's coming. I could call down legions and legions of angels. And I could call down one. I could call down Michael, the warrior archangel, and you would be toast. He never did that. He never did that. Mm. I'd have been calling on everything I could possibly do to save my miserable soul, but Jesus didn't do that. He didn't threaten. What did he do? He kept him trusting himself to Father God, who judges righteously, and he himself, meaning Jesus, now brought our sins on his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his stripes or by his wounds, you were healed. You were healed. That verse is used out of context by some people crazy trying to think everybody can heal and bring healing and stand on that verse. And that's not what it means. It means that by the suffering, beating, bloody, merciless death of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, if we receive that sacrifice for our sins, we are healed. We're healed spiritually, spiritually. But you can't bear that for someone else. If I have a son or a daughter a husband or a wife or someone in my family, if I have a friend, if I'm pleading with them, pleading with them, pleading to the Lord for their salvation, pleading to them that they would that they would turn and receive Christ, that's all I can do. I can't bear their sin and shame. I can't do that. Only Jesus did that, and only if they receive it. Only if they receive it. In life, we can't take up another person's cross. We can't bear another person's cross for another brother or sister. Oh, that's too much for them to bear. Let me bear that for you. No, no, that's not right. 
That is not right. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 34, and it's actually repeated in the other Gospels. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and his disciples and his crowd of people. Many were followers. And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, bear his cross and follow me. And bearing your cross is just that. There are things in your life that that God has assigned to you and to me, and we don't like it, and it may be hard and difficult, but that's what Jesus said. Following me is not is not being a disciple of nine, is not being that true born-again Christian he talked to Nicodemus about. It's bearing that cross through hard times. It's carrying that cross as Jesus did up Calvary because God meant, intended it for you. This is for you. It's to teach you. It's to help you see the sufferings of Christ, perhaps, and and relate to them. It's to help you rely more on God. I don't know. We've all had things we talk about our cross to bear. Oh, that's my cross to bear. It's kind of used kind of flippantly, but it's the truth. It is the truth. We've been given a cross to bear in following Christ. It probably is going to be suffering. Today, it could be considered suffering. I'm an outspoken Bible teacher evangelist, unashamed to speak on things, to call out sin and to call out people who are teaching the word of God wrong, all the false teachers. And I may be punished for that at some point. I don't know. A lot of people were. Listen, throughout the scripture, and especially in the New Testament, they were all martyred. They're martyrs today. People speak up for Jesus, and you can see it coming in our nation today. It's one of the saddest things. There's no freedom of speech. They want to censor everything that doesn't agree with what they say, and especially if you mention the name of Jesus. God's got a cross to bear. If you're born again in Christ, you've got a cross to bear, and it's yours. It's yours. There are things there that you must alone bear. Now, we're talking about these other things, the burdens of sufferings, of sin, things like that, that we can go alongside someone and, and help someone. And we should, and we must, because we're told to. But there are things that God has assigned, appointed for you to bear as part of your testimony that you are born again in Christ. And that's what Jesus said. If anyone must take up the cross, deny myself, deny my own. I said, well, Lord, this isn't fair. This isn't right. <laughs> you think Jesus thought that, you know, while he was being beaten mercilessly and then crucified? It's the same kind of thing. Deny myself. Put others ahead. Put the Lord God first and foremost. Deny myself. Take up that cross, which means death. The cross meant death. That was a symbol of death. That's the only thing it meant. The Romans used it. They didn't invent it, but they used it in this merciless way to kill criminals. Mm. So we can't bear another person's sin and shame, and we can't bear someone's cross for those things specific to what the Lord God has appointed for them as part of their walk and their faith journey. Can't do that. And sadly, we can't stand in for someone else before the Lord and, and plead for their salvation, that plead that God would not judge them as lost and deserving hell because they've rejected Christ. We can't do it. We can't stand in there. How do I know that? And, and some people try to do that. Their denominations, I think, are teach, have taught things like that, especially for the dead. It's too late then. In Romans 14, 12, we read this. Paul kind of summarized it and said, look, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Each of us will give an account of himself to God. And the only question for the non-believer, for the one who continues to refuse Jesus Christ, is going to be, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? How did you, did you receive him? Did you reject him? Just like all the others and throughout the, the religious people, his own people, and now throughout the rest of the last couple thousand years, so many people, Jew, Gentile, were rejecting him. That's the seminal question. That's the only one that's going to matter because on that will we'll determine whether or not you spend eternity in he- heaven or in hell. It, that's Again, that's what the word of God teaches. Those are the words of Jesus himself. And Paul said it will. Each of us, every one of us, is going to stand before the Lord God and give an account of himself. There's one thing that we can do, one more thing. I save this for last because it's really an invitation, but it's an invitation both to Christians and to those who continue to reject Christ. There's two different ways of looking at it, but for Christians it's this. Here's something else you can do. You can invite someone to receive Christ. You can ask someone where they stand in relationship, their relationship with Jesus Christ before God. We just saw that everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to stand there. But you can ask someone if they would be willing to receive Christ. You can ask them that. Now, a lot of people today, that's why there's very little evangelism, think that's too intrusive. Well, I need to wait and build a relationship with them. And relationship evangelism has been taught for years. It's fine. But there are times when it isn't. And if you spend all that time with someone building this relationship and never, ever ask them or confront them with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be sad if they died that day and ended up in hell? Again, I'm not putting this responsibility on you and me. That's between them and the Lord. God alone, they know that. God alone. But what we have a responsibility to do is to speak the truth in love with gentleness and respect, as Peter said. But people need to know, and and if you have this great gift that God has offered to everyone else as well, can you at least ask someone if they if they received it, if they know about it? Do you know that, you know that God's offered this gift through Jesus, and it's the only way to reconcile to Him? It's a dilemma for some. Sometimes it's a dilemma for all of us. Well, I, you know that's not the right time, and I, I don't know. You have to discern that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your guide. But I would I would rather err on the side of asking someone this question that seems personal and intrusive. I'd rather err on that side than be rebuked for someone for not asking, for not asking, and then have them face the end and death alone and hopeless and bound for hell. We all need conviction in that. We just do. And I don't care what denomination you come from, whether you're Reformed, Arminian, or somewhere in between, or all these things. This is the truth of the gospel. It is what Jesus said to do. He said, go and make disciples. Go help people understand the gospel. That's what his disciples did. And we just spend too much time reading the Bible and going to church and doing things that are not really focused on that. And so my challenge to you, Christian, is simply that. Are you looking for those opportunities to tell someone the good news? That's why they call it the good news. It's the best news. The best news. 
that Jesus Christ died for you and he made a way. He made a way. And there's hope in that. It's not negative. There's hope in that. There's eternal life and eternal hope in that. But the consequence and the opposite is just as true. And so for those of you who continue to reject it and think all of this is a bunch of nonsense and it's contrived by men and written by men and not the Holy Spirit and uh, there's got to be many ways to get to God. I've heard that from famous people. Can't just be one way. Jesus said there is. Jesus said there's only one way, and it's him in John 14, 6. And so you're calling him a liar. And that's okay. You could do that. People have beaten and abused him, spit in his face, all those things, called him names, insulted him. I just read those verses. He's okay with that. The problem is the consequences are dire, and they're eternal. And so my pleading prayer is I've been so immersed in it all week. My prayer for you is that you would understand that this message was meant for you and sent to you. And I may be the very last Bible teacher evangelist kind of a person that God puts in front of you before it is your time. And so again, I ask you, would you decide right now, would you make that decision and choice to confess your sin? You know that you're a sinner and nobody likes that word, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. We're sinners and we're broken and apart from God. And the only way he gave us to reconcile that was through our Redeemer, our Savior, Christ the Lord, whose birth we're going to celebrate here pretty soon. So I pray that you would hear me today and receive the word, and more than anything else, bow the knee, repent, and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your life will never be the same. That I promise you forever. Father God, thank you for this word of truth, because it is the truth. Thank you for the truth that goes out to people, and however they receive it, Lord, let them receive it. Let us wake up as Christians to understand how we can help people, how we can comfort them, how we can serve them, how we can pray over them. And let us not be uh, slothful. Let us not be slothful in making sure that we help people understand the reason for the hope that we have, which is Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, and to be willing to offer that and share that with them. We don't have a captive market there. You're available to anyone who will bow the knee, confess their sin, repent, and just come to you. You are. So help us to be excited about telling someone about that. Excited about it. It's good news. I have good news for you. Help us to be looking forward and forward opportunities to, uh, to share that good news. And ever more mindful during this season as we go into it, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray it in his mighty and matchless, wonderful name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.